Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. Look at your beautiful, shining faces this morning. I have some dad jokes for you in honor of Father's Day coming up. So just prepare, just, just prepare yourself right now. Last night I had a dream that I was swimming in a sea of orange soda. But it was just a fantasy. Uh, get it? Fantasy. Oh, what's another one? Uh, a dad was telling, he was bragging to his son about his new state-of-the-art hearing aid. He was like, man, I just got this amazing hearing aid, state-of-the-art, it's top of the line, I, um, I paid through the nose for it, and so his son's like, awesome, what type is it? And he said, it's 230. <laughs> uh, some of you guys will get that later, what type is it? I, I laugh at these for like minutes upon minutes upon minutes, and um, <laughs> Amy's like, stop, it's not that funny. I'm like, I can't help it. The, the longer I'm a dad, the more dad jokes make me laugh. So today, we are continuing in this thought of the overflow of Pentecost, and leave it to me to turn a standalone message into a mini-series. But as I was praying for this Sunday, I felt like the Lord led me. He said, I- I'm not done with this thought. Last week we talked about when we walk with the Spirit, what that produces in us. And the overflow of Pentecost, what, what immediately that produced. It made us see things differently. It made us pray different prayers. It, 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 it made us speak boldly. And, and the, the Holy Spirit, not it, um, um, but I'm talking about an encounter, that, that moment. That's, that's what I'm talking about. The Holy Spirit, he makes us, he empowers us, he he, he, there's overflow to a life live, lived in obedience to the Holy Spirit. There's overflow to Pentecost. And, and as Pentecostals, it's not just about speaking in tongues. That's a gift, and I think we should use it. But there is overflow to a life walking in step with the Holy Spirit. And last week, if you, if you missed it, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. Because, um, not because I preach, but I think there are some truths. And, and I, I kind of gave a litmus test for, are we listening? Let, let, let this be a litmus test for whether we are walking in step with the Spirit. Are these things happening regularly in our life? And, and as I was praying this week, I felt like the Lord told me to go look at um, Acts chapter 6, the end of it, and then... Some of Acts chapter 7 and then Acts chapter 8, 1. And, and the reason why 
I'm not going to read all of Acts chapter 7 is because it's very long. And that would take this Arkansan all day. So um, I'm not going to do that, but I want to highlight what's happening. So we, 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 there, there's a lot of stuff that happened where we left off. Peter and John get arrested um, last week in Acts chapter 4, and they get thrown in prison. They tell them, hey, you can't preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And they said, well, no, uh, we're going to preach. Who are we to listen to, you or God? And they kept preaching, and then um, they go to the church, they go back to the church, the, the body of believers, not a building. They go, they go back to the, the body of believers. And they start praying. And what do they pray? They say, Lord, consider their threats. Give us boldness to preach the word, even though they just got arrested for preaching the word. And then they prayed, stretch out your hand to perform miracles through your church. And, and then the, the place where they were praying, the Lord shook. And it says they're all filled with the spirit. And they preached the word boldly. And then we picked up. Man, like, like right there, the, the, the apostles the 12, that's what the Bible calls them in Acts. They, they go back, right back to the temple where they got arrested, right where the critics are, right where the religious leaders are, right where the Pharisees and Sadducees and the temple guard, the people that don't want them preaching, they go right back and start preaching Jesus. And they get arrested, all of them. And in the middle of the night, an angel shows up, lets them out. And then he, the Lord tells them to go right back to the temple courts and preach so the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and, and, and the priests, they show up thinking that they're still locked away. And yet they see them preaching in the temple courts, and they're like, what? And then they go look at the jail cell, and the guard is still standing there. And no one's entered, no one's left, and it's still locked. And yet they're in the temple courts, even though they locked them away. And God starts doing miracles through the apostles to the point where um, they, um, they get arrested and beaten. Like... And, and when they get beaten for sharing the gospel, guess what? They start rejoicing that they were worthy to have the marks of Christ on their body. They're like, praise God. And, and, and they start laying hands on the sick. And then it gets to the point where, where people just start noticing this anointing on the apostles. And they start laying sick people along the road. And the shadow of Peter hits them. And these, these sick people are getting healed. And then we pick up in Acts chapter 6. And the Lord's moving powerfully and the church is growing rapidly. And this is the overflow of Pentecost at work. But it says this, but as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows are being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve... This would be the apostles called a meeting of the believers. And they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God and, and not running a food program. So this, you're, you're about to see Jesus like leadership. And so brothers, select seven men who are well respected, full of spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then the apostles, then the apostles can spend our time, then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. So what was happening is the church was growing so fast because they were accomplishing their, their calling that 
It was pulling them away from their calling and they nipped it in the bud. Their job was to preach the word and pray. And I wonder where they got this crazy idea from. It's almost like they spent three years with a guy that taught them how to get away and pray and preach. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon. If I butcher these names, no one else can read them too. Um, I'm pretty sure that's not Parmesan. Parninus and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them, and they laid hands on them, as they laid hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Stephen. I want you, like, his name's mentioned twice here in this chapter. And listen. It's described a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and here, a man full of God's grace and power. Imagine being mentioned in two chapters of the Bible, and out of those two chapters, you're described as full of faith and the Holy Spirit and full of grace and God's power. That's pretty amazing. And Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some of the men of the synagogue of street slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Sicily, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. That's what the enemy does to you today. When, you're, when, you're, when, when you are being used by God, he's going to attack you. He's going to lie about you. He's going to spread lies about you. He's going to spread lies about the work you're doing. That's all he has. He's a toothless tiger. And all, everything that comes out of his mouth is a lie. And we've got to quit believing it. This roused the people, the elders and the teachers of the religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs of Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. Maybe the Holy Spirit is about to do something. And we're going to jump into Acts chapter 7. And we're going to pick up at a hard moment. So that was all of Acts chapter 6. We're going to pick up at verse 51. But what happened is Stephen starts breaking down the whole history of Israel. And he walks through Abraham, Moses, the enslavement, how God brought him. He walks through it all the way up 
to Jesus. And I can't help but think, if you recall, there's a walk that Jesus took after his resurrection. And he's walking on the road to Emmaus with two disciples. And he's explaining all the law and the prophets to these two disciples and, and relating it back to himself, back to this man called Jesus. They didn't know it was Jesus at the time. And showing how all the Old Testament points to this one man, Jesus. And then after Jesus revealed himself to them and then he disappeared from the room that they were in, it says, my, what, how our hearts burned within us as he explained it, the word to us. I can't help but think that this moment right here is probably the closest thing that we'll ever get to what Jesus said to those two disciples as Stephen steps up and starts explaining the whole history of Israel, how it all culminates in this one person, Jesus Christ, that brings salvation to the world. But then he drops this nugget where we're going to pick up because he loves them enough not to skirt around the true issues of the heart. And he addresses the issue of the heart with a pinprick, but it hurts to hear. And let's look at verse 51. You stubborn people, you are heathen at heart. Some translations might read, you are uncircumcised at heart. What that means is they are not part of God's chosen people by how they live and worship God. And deaf to the truth, must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fist at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heaven the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting, and they rushed at him. That almost sounds like today. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, I want you to hear this, he's dying. Instead of trying to conserve his breath and protect himself, he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Let's go to the next verse. 
Acts 8.1, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Acts 8.1. Acts 8.1. Remember Acts 8.1. Remember Acts 8.1. Because Acts 8.1 is the fulfillment of Acts 1.8. I feel this need now more than ever as your pastor, just in my spirit, to push, pull, lead, call, to encourage the church to walk in all authority and power that God has for the church. I feel it. We have got to. The power of the Holy Spirit is not for a select few. It's for everyone. And if we want to be engaging with culture, we've got to walk in the power of the kingdom, which is the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can't be satisfied with the status quo any longer. We are literally living in the last days like never before. There's apostasy. People aren't preaching truth. The church isn't preaching truth. We're tolerating things in our lives that Christ died to set us free from, and we're calling it okay. And we have an attitude of someone else will do it. Well, the pastor will do it. The problem is pastors are a part of it. Not all, but we, this is a personal thing. God equipped the church. He called the church, and within the church, every one of us are called equally by God. We are equally empowered by the Holy Spirit to walk in the anointing that God has for us. And we, as a church, if we want to experience the overflow of Pentecost, we've got to have a heart that says, God, use me. We can't wait around anymore. I, and we, we are seeing the fulfillment of Romans 8.1. If it happened then, it's happening like on a super scale now in our society. If you just go and read it, it describes us to a T. Romans, not 8.1, Romans chapter 1, I'm sorry. Romans chapter 1, it describes us to a T. But God put this mission out to preach the gospel to all creation. He has this mission, and then he gave that mission, the church, to accomplish it. And so as followers of God, he then equipped us with his spirit. He's like, I'm not just going to tell them to accomplish this mission. I'm going to step inside of them. They are going to become my dwelling place, and I'm going to use them powerfully to reach the world because we can't reach the world without the Holy Spirit. We can't live a holy life without the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this. He said, all power, in Matthew 28, all power and authority belong to me. 
Therefore, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation, teaching them all that I have taught you. And lo, I am with you always. He sandwiched the great commission between all power and authority belong to me and go. And if you want to do some round reasoning and just basic reason, what are we as a church? We are the body of Christ. If we are his body, we're his hands and feet. So all power and authority belong to him. So maybe, just maybe, through the work of the Holy Spirit in us, all power and authority belong to us through the Holy Spirit to accomplish this mission. And the whole time, Christ is with us through the person of the Holy Spirit to make sure we don't mess it up. (laughs) Believe me, if we tried it on our own, we would. But he's with us. He's empowered us. Satan wants the church to be neutered. He wants us to be a toothless tiger because he knows he is. Misery loves company. He knows that he has no power and authority over us anymore, but he wants us to walk in timidity. He wants us to walk in um, a lack of authority. He wants us to pray neutered prayers. He wants us to to act that way. And then he wants us to always look to the past He wants us to look at former moves of God. He wants us to say, oh man, only if God would do what he did then. Like, oh man, I just want to move a God like that. Instead of saying, you know what? I am the church and I could be the move of God that I want to see because the Holy Spirit is in me and he has empowered me to accomplish the mission for which he's called me to do. He's called you to do. He wants us... He's almost like our media. He wants to distract us with something else so we don't focus on the mission at hand, what's really going on. That's, that's, that, that, that's his playbook. That's what he does. And I'm telling you that you can be a move of God because God is with you and God is for you. And if God is with you, who can be against you? You can be the change. You could be the revival just by saying, God, use me and laying your own status quo down at his feet, laying your agenda at his feet and say, God, I want what you want. You truly pray that you're going to start seeing a move of God in your life. And it's not going to look like before. Man, the glory of the, the latter house is greater than the glory of the former house. What God did in the 1950s and the 1980s and the 1990s is not what he's going to do in the 2020s. But he is going to do something, and he is doing something, and he is pouring out his spirit. So as I, uh, the reason why I wanted to talk about Stephen so much is because, is my, my, really my first point, my first thought, I want to give you four biblical truths that flow, from, flow out of Pentecost concerning the church and Stephen. My first thought is the Holy Spirit wants to fill and empower everyone. The Holy Spirit wants to fill and empower. He wants to baptize every follower of Christ with power. He does. This is a promise and a gift. God is a, God is a, a gift-giving God. He loves to give gifts. He loves to um, empower his people. And he's not holding it back from any believer. 
He wants this for your life. I mean, if you, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in you and he empowers you to live righteously. I'm not talking about that empowerment. I'm talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There is a covering. Uh, like suddenly what's in you becomes on you. That, that's, that's what the, the baptism is. The Holy Spirit's in you, and then he fills you to the point where it runs over and it becomes on you. That's the difference. So it's no longer just for me. The, 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 the indwelling part of the Holy Spirit is for me so I can live righteously before God. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for the world so we can proclaim the gospel boldly, so we can anoint people, so we can lay hands on the sick. Like Not to say that people who aren't baptized can't do that. They can, 100%, and God will use them because he loves faith. But he empowers us to make it easier. And he wants to. It's not, it's not that he's holding it back from anyone. This is for everyone. And the reason why I think it's so significant that, that Stephen is used so powerfully to perform miracles, that he's used so powerfully to preach the gospel, that he's used so powerfully, in fact, to the point where he had the honor to become the first martyr, to die for his faith in Jesus Christ. He's used like that. I think it's so significant that it wasn't an apostle. It was a churchgoer. It was a person from amongst the people. The significance of this moment, when he starts doing miraculous signs, I want you to see, last week we talked about this moment in church history where Peter and John are before this person and, and they said either Jesus empowered us or he didn't, gold or silver I do not have, in the name of Jesus get up and walk. And, and for the first time, they do a miracle and Jesus wasn't there. They, they did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And they did miracles before because Jesus empowered them to do it. But not without Jesus on earth. But now Jesus is in heaven and he says, it's good that I go so I can send you an advocate, a helper. And so this moment is the first time in church history that a person other than Jesus and the twelve are doing miracles. It's like God's saying it's not for leadership, it's for everyone. It's for everyone. You are qualified for the Holy Spirit to use you mightily. You are qualified to lay hands on the sick and they recover. You are qualified to bind demons and they leave. You are qualified as a follower of Christ. There's not a hierarchy in the kingdom. There's one king and we're all servants to that one king. So the Holy Spirit wants to empower everyone. You when you walk out of, there, uh, out of this building, you are just as qualified as me to lay hands on the sick. You are just as qualified because the Holy Spirit's in you and on you. Because the Holy Spirit wants to empower and fill and baptize everyone. It's not for leadership it's not for who we think is hyper-spiritual. Oh my gosh, there's not a hyper-spiritual. We are all equally righteous before God. <laughs> there's not one person you'll meet that's more righteous than you. If they're in Christ, the same Holy Spirit that justified them is the same Holy Spirit that justifies you, and you don't get more righteous. 
You can't get any more holy. Because why? <laughs> We're covered in the holiness and righteousness of Christ. That's the top of the line. God gives it to everyone equally. Some people might be more sanctified than others. That means they act more like Jesus. But they're not more righteous than you. Jesus loved the church too much to put it on leadership. And I've said this so much, but my job as pastor is to equip the saints for the good work of the gospel. If a move of God stays in this room and on this platform, it will die in this room and on this platform. But you are the move of God that this town needs. You are the move of God that your family needs. You are the move of God. Don't let the enemy lie to you anymore. God can't use me. Yeah, he can. If you put your faith in Jesus, you're more than qualified to be used by God. Stephen didn't have three and a half years under the university of Jesus Christ. He didn't have a bachelor's degree in Jesus Christ. He put his faith in Jesus. We don't even know if Stephen ever met Jesus. He could have been a convert, converted after the day of Pentecost. We don't know that. He might be just like you, never met Jesus, just heard the gospel and accepted Christ. And I think that's the point. That's the point. Because it's for everyone. It's for every single believer. I'm here to tell you that you are a candidate for God to use powerfully. The Holy Spirit wants to baptize you with power. Because he wants to give you every gift. I want you to receive every gift God has for you. I want that for you. I pray that for you. I find myself praying lately, Lord, I, as much as I want God to use me powerfully, I do. I, 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 I would be lying to say that I don't. But I found myself saying, Lord, I would rather you pour out your anointing and your presence and your power on everyone at C1 than just me. I just want to be a part of it. I want everyone empowered because I can't do it all. I can't. I can only talk to so many people a week. I can only pray with so many people a week. But man, if we're all walking in the authority and power that God wants us to walk in, imagine how our city, our families can change up, upside down. I've been praying that. Lord, anoint everyone that calls C1 home. Empower us through your spirit to proclaim the gospel boldly. And Lord, anoint us to lay hands on the sick. Give us boldness to step out in faith. I'm, I'm, I'm praying the same prayers over you that I pray over me. Because I, I promise there's more than enough Holy Spirit to go around. Why? The Holy Spirit wants to baptize. He wants to fill and empower everyone. There's one body, and we're all equally called. Stephen wasn't anyone special. He was just a guy filled with the Spirit, wisdom. He loved Jesus. He followed Jesus well, and God used him. He followed Jesus well. 
If you say, well, why does God seem to use others more than me? I would say, to quote Jesus, what is that to you? As for you, you follow him. I don't have the answer to that. I also might say, I wonder if you knew the sacrifice that person made in prayer and time that they they spent with the Lord, maybe the Lord would use you in that way too. The second thought I want to give you today, an overflow of Pentecost, is the Holy Spirit gives boldness to speak truth and love. Stephen is preaching to the choir, literally. These people know the Old Testament like the back of their hand. They know the history of Israel. And he gets to this point, and he calls them out. If you go back and look at the history of Israel, man, they, they were not kind of prophets, men who spoke truth. Men, if, if you want to speak what God has for you, that means you're going to be saying some unpopular things. You're going to say things that are going to tick people off. The gospel of Jesus Christ is an offense to the world, even though it's filled with grace and mercy. It's, it, it does. Because... The Spirit of God is in utter opposition to the Spirit of this world. And when they hear the gospel, it either hardens their heart or it melts their heart. The same sun that melts the snow hardens the clay. But regardless, we as a church have got to be willing to speak truth and love regardless of consequences. Well, I might get fired. Is that person's soul worth it for sharing it? I mean, it really, I mean, I, I, I know. Like, well, i got to provide for my family. Well, you're not Jehovah Jireh to begin with. God will provide for your family. Do what he says to do, and he'll take care of you. Man, I... I'm like, well, that's easy for you to say, Ryan. You're not in my situation. You get to speak truth and love all the time. I wasn't always a pastor. Before I, I, when Amy and I were dating, I worked as a phlebotomist. And I got three warnings for sharing the gospel. And they said, the next time you do it, we will fire you. And I said, I can't stop. I'm like, I told them, like, you might as well just fire me. And I'm talking to people who follow Jesus. One of them was even a missionary of the Assemblies of God. Like, we just can't talk about Jesus at work. And I'm like, well, you can't, but I can. Well, you're not supposed to. I understand that. But when people, uh, if the Holy Spirit lays something on my heart to pray with someone, I'm going to do it. And they're like, well, you're not supposed to. I understand that you tell me I'm not supposed to, but who am I going to listen to? We're like, well, you have a warning. I'm like, okay, how many do I get? (laughs) Like... And I used them all up, and luckily I got to um, I got to where I was like two weeks out, and I and I I, I resigned, I quit. So I was like, I'm I'm gonna get fired. My goal was to get fired before we got married, and I didn't. Well, I got I got three warnings, and the next one I was gonna get fired. But we got to speak truth and love. Stephen stepped in 
And he said some hard things. And, and, and it's not that Jesus asked us to do something that he doesn't do. Jesus did the same exact thing. He never minced his words. He always spoke truth and he always spoke love. And what's interesting about it is if you go back and read some of Jesus' conversations in the book of John and even Matthew with the Pharisees and the religious leaders, man, he calls them a brood of vipers. He calls them whitewashed tombs. He, I mean, he, he calls them out for their hypocrisy. He, he lays into it. And that's, what all, that's all Stephen does. Because he loves them, he doesn't want them to continue in their hypocrisy and, and how they're serving God because they're not serving God. They're serving themselves. And, and Jesus calls them out on it. But John chapter 1, it says something very interesting about Jesus. It says Jesus being full of truth and being full of grace. And that's, that's Jesus was 100% full of both. And the temptation for the church today is either we are full of truth or full of grace. And the problem with being full of one or the other is if you're full of truth and all you do is speak truth to people, well, number one, there's no hope and, and, and there's always condemnation. There's no help to get rid of the, the truth. Well, that's a sin. You need to repent and all this. But the, like you're, you're just railing on people, so here's the truth. But then, if you're so full of grace, well, if you're all full of grace, there's no repentance and there's no change. You can't be one or the other. The, Jesus walked out both, full of grace and truth. And we, as followers of Christ need to follow his example. And look at Stephen. He spoke both grace and truth. And the only way we can do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit because our flesh is going to lean towards one because we want to just really lay into someone and tell them the truth or the other. Well, I don't want to offend them. And I'm not, our flesh is going to lean one way or the other, but it takes the Spirit of God to find that balance to speak both truth and grace. We cannot do it apart from the Spirit of God. We can't do it. The Holy Spirit empowers us. He gives us boldness to speak truth in love. In fact, throughout the New Testament, Hebrews tells us to speak truth in love. In fact, I would tell you that if you don't speak truth to people, you don't love them. The proof that you love them is the fact that you are willing to tell people the truth. You're not doing anyone a favor by not telling people the truth. This is hard. It's hard not to be calloused to what's going on and just when you, when you speak in truth, you can become real calloused and, and not see people in their mess and not love people in their mess and just be like, oh, that's, you just need to get over it and just be real callous to what they're going through. And the thing is, if you love God, you love people. The, the manifestation... The proof, I want you to hear this. The proof that we love God is that we love people. That's the, that's the manifestation in the physical world of our love for God. 
Because we can say we love God, but like, where's the proof? Well, the proof is how you love one another, how you love people. And so if you don't love people, that's also proof that you don't love God. It's not one or the other, it's both and. So with that said, we got to be willing to speak truth and love. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to do that. A couple months ago, I was walking through Walmart with my, my babies. And we have a ritual when we go into Walmart. Amy goes and gets all the groceries. And the kids and I, the three kids in our family, go and look at the toys. I probably enjoy it too much for my age. But... Um, I like looking at the toys with my kids, and I also like to tell them no. Can I get this? No. I, just, it, I get to tell them no so one day I can tell my grandkids yes. Um, <laughs> but um, I was walking through the toy department, and out of the blue, my niece calls me. She's 18, just graduated high school. Or no, she dropped out and got her GED. And I called her, and my, my instinct was to send her to voicemail because I was in the middle of Walmart, and she never calls me, but I'm like, I just felt I needed to take this. Because I text her. I, I text her um, periodically, like a couple times a month, just to say, hey, Turkey, I love you, and I'm praying for you. And I just leave it at that. Like, hey, I'm in your corner. I'm here for you if you want to talk. I text her that type of stuff. She never texts back. She never calls me back. And she finally calls me, and she, she, needed, she wanted to get away. She's like, I just need a couple days to get away. I just need, and she's just laying on the tears and everything. I'm like, whoa, let's step back. And she found herself in a situation. Um, um, she did some hard drugs, and she, got, she came off of the drugs, but she's like, I'm still doing pot. I'm, I'm like, well... Honestly, getting away for a couple days is not going to change. I said, you need to get into, like, Teen Challenge. And, and I'm talking to her. And, and, I'm, and I felt like the Holy Spirit said, this is, the moment, this is that moment you've been praying for. I've just been praying. What I've been praying is, Lord, send someone to share the gospel with this little girl to where she will receive it. And if it's me, give me an opportunity. I said, Lord, I'm willing to do it, but I know she doesn't like to listen to the family. I said, so, Lord, but I'm willing. And the Lord said, this is that moment. And so I started talking with her, and, man, she's going off, and I'm like, Shaylin, I want you to listen. I'm just, just telling her the truth. I'm just talking truth to her, and, and I'm, being, I'm being stern but in love. And, like, I'm, I'm like, God, please, in my mind, I'm like, God, please don't let her hang up because i got to tell her the truth. i got to tell her the truth. I, I'm not one to preach at her. I've seen my family do that for years, and it doesn't work. They could preach to their blue in the face, and it has not led to repentance. Um, and I, I'm, I'm praying, Lord, and, and she's receiving this. And I'm like, oh, God, just thank you. And, and, and we're just talking. And, and I'm saying some hard things to her. I'm, I'm saying really hard things to the point where Amy walks up, and she's like, who are you? And I'm going to show her. And she's like, okay, I'll take the kids. And someone walks up to Amy. Another mom in the toy department walks up to Amy and says, I don't know who he's talking to, but kudos to your husband for speaking truth and love. Um, because I was speaking truth, and it turned into like an hour-long conversation. I'm walking up and down the toy department talking about um, the gospel. 
and how only Jesus can change her circumstance. Running to, to Tennessee is not going to change a heart condition. And, 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 I, and she would never let me pray with her. I've tried, even when I visited, when my mom passed away, I tried. And she wouldn't. She was just stonewalled, stone-faced. She was, and, and I got to share the gospel with her and her girlfriend. She's a lesbian. And I've been praying, Lord, break them up. Break them up. Lord, get every influence out of her life that pulls her away from a relationship with you. And actually, I said, can I pray with you too? I got to share the gospel with both of them. And they're like, yeah, we need it. I'm like, where is this? And so I pray and I said, Lord, I pray that you break these two up. They're not good for one another. I didn't get into all the, the this is sin and you guys are going to hell if you continue. I'm, I'm not going to do that. I got off the, I got done praying. I said, Turkey, that's my nickname from the time she was born, Turkey. I said, I want you to know that I love you beyond your wildness. Like, what, what, you're beyond, beyond what you can comprehend. I love you and I pray for you nonstop. I wake up in the middle of the night praying for you. And she said, I'll never forget this. She said, Uncle Ryan, I know you love me. And you're the only one I knew I could talk to because you never preach at me. I'm like, well, I just got done. <laughs> but, but what was so interesting, what was so interesting is she felt the love of God through me first so I could speak the truth of God to her. People need to see the love of God in us before they hear the truth of God through us. The Holy Spirit gives us boldness to speak truth and love, but the love opens the door for the truth. People need to see the love of God in us before they hear the truth of God through us. Romans 2.4 says this. You don't have a slide for it. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that, that it's his loving kindness that turns you from your sin or draws you to repentance, some translations say? That it's his loving kindness that draws people to repentance Stephen spoke truth in love, regardless of the consequences. I knew that I had to speak to my niece, and I said, God, if she never wants to talk to me again, so be it, but I know this is the moment. And she has. I've talked to her just the other day, and I got to encourage her. The, the, the third, I'm going to get through this real fast. The Holy Spirit empowers to love those who persecute us. Whether you like it or not, persecution is breaking out in our nation. It's already all over the world, but it's happening here. It's going to happen in a grand scale, but that means the church is going to grow in a grand scale. And Stephen literally was killed for his faith in Jesus. Jesus literally said this would happen. John 16, 1 through 7, I'm going to read it real fast. I told you these things so that you don't abandon your faith. 
for you will be expelled from synagogues, and the time is coming when those who kill you will think they were doing a holy service for God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I am telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a little while longer, but now I am going away to the one who sent me. And not only and not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because I, if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I go away, then I will send him to you. Jesus literally told his followers that they were going to get persecuted. That was the 12. I can't help. The 12 started thinking about this little section conversation they had with Jesus when they got arrested for preaching the gospel. And then they got arrested again for preaching the gospel and an angel showed up and then they got arrested and beaten for preaching the gospel. And then I can't help that as good leaders, they probably said, listen guys, Jesus said this would happen. Don't, and he said, I'm telling, and he told us that we wouldn't abandon our faith. And we're telling you that persecution is coming. So you don't abandon your faith. The world is going to hate you because of Jesus. No servants greater than the teacher. And they're going through all this stuff. And I can't help but Stephen thinking, this is exactly what the apostles told me that Jesus told them. And he said that we would die. But what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do on the cross? He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Even the people that were persecuting him, what did they do about Jesus? They lied about Jesus in the trial. What did they do about Stephen? They lied about him to get him killed. And, and whenever we face persecution as a church, whenever people come against us, number one, they're not our enemy. There's a real enemy named the devil that comes at us. They aren't. But when people do, what does the Bible tell us to do? Jesus takes it a step further, not just love them, but bless them. He says, advocate before the Father for them. When people persecute you, bless them. Go out of your way to be kind to them. Go out of your way to show the love of Jesus to them. This is so contrary to, to us as, as a nation, as, as a nation of rebels here in America. Our, our nation was born out of rebellion, and we, we have that American rebel attitude, but the, the Spirit of God says when people come at you, we are to bless them. We are to love them. Persecution never negates our love for God and our love for people. It doesn't. We are to love. The, only the Holy Spirit can give us power to love people who are going out of their way to persecute us. Only the Holy Spirit can make us say, Father, I pray that you bless them. I pray that you save them. I pray that they will encounter you in such a powerful way. Only the Holy Spirit. And, and I can't help but think Stephen probably heard the words of John as John heard the words of Jesus when Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And John probably conveyed that to the rest of the 12. And they probably conveyed that to the church. And here we see Stephen getting literally killed. And he says, Father, don't hold this sin against them. Why? Because the Holy Spirit makes us like Jesus, for one, and then the Holy Spirit empowers us to have this agape, no strings attached love. It's no strings attached. It's not, you love me, I love you. You scratch my back, I scratch your back. No, it's like, I love you because you exist, and Jesus died for you, period. Whether you hate me or not, I love you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we see. 
That's what we see working through Stephen. And that's what we have got to see working through the church today. Because it's coming. But it's not a bad thing. The church is going to grow. The enemy, the enemy comes in like a flood. God raises up a banner. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. The gospel, the message... The gospel message of Jesus Christ will go forward and people will be transformed by the love of God and people who are far from God are going to become sons of God and then they're going to reach people far from God. And then the last thought I want to leave you with. The Holy Spirit uses every situation to accomplish God's purpose. The Holy Spirit uses every situation to accomplish God's purpose. The enemy steps in and he's trying to squinch the church from spreading. Thousands of people are getting saved. Priests are getting saved. I mean, it's churning Jerusalem upside down. And the religious people of the day are ticked off. They're hacked off. They're mad about it. They're losing the control over the people because these people are walking in freedom of the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. They're, they're, they're no longer, they're, they're starting to understand like, hey, Jesus was that sacrifice. So I don't have to do what these people are telling me to do at the temple and Man, these religious people are getting so mad. They love the law more than they love the God of the law. And they start persecuting the church. They already are arresting the 12. Suddenly, this is just a churchgoer, and they kill him. And a great persecution breaks out. They're like, this is it. This is our moment. We're going to arrest people. If you keep reading in Acts 8-2, it says, Saul goes door to door, dragging people out of their home and jailing them and killing them. This man that approved of Stephen's death. He is going around persecuting the church and, it, and it's sweeping over Jerusalem and he's like, this is my moment to stop the followers of Christ. And God all the while is saying, this is my moment to accomplish Acts 1.8. Acts 8.1 is the fulfillment of Acts 1.8. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my Jerusalem, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem's already turned upside down. There's thousands of believers in Jerusalem. In all Judea and Samaria. And, all, and to the ends of the earth. What does Acts 8.1 say? And it says that the church... See, the thing is, the church wasn't running because they didn't... They, they, they were still sharing the gospel. Like, persecution... Like, they didn't stop sharing the gospel. They kept sharing the gospel. They just left to where they could share it safely. That's what happened. And so the, all the time, the enemy thought they're going to stop it. And, and God's like, I'm going to grow it. And so... It says they went all over Judea and Samaria. Well, Acts 1.8 says you're going to be in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And God's like, okay, I'm going to use what the enemy meant for bad to grow my kingdom on earth, to get them to go to the ends of the earth. So if there's anything to learn out of this moment and this point is the fact that if you're going through it right now, 
You might say, how can this get worse? That's a great moment for God to use. God has a history of turning what the enemy uses for bad for good. Because the Holy Spirit uses every situation to accomplish God's purpose. You might say, well, I'm at rock bottom. I can't go any lower. Well, that's a good, great place to be because God only builds upon the rock. And if we surrender when we're at rock bottom, suddenly we put our faith in the rock of our salvation and then God starts to lift us out of the pit. You know the difference between hopeless and hopeful? Prayer and time. You know the difference between faithless and faithful? Prayer and time. The difference between your situation that seems hopeless right now is prayer and time. Don't grow weary in well-doing for at the perfect time, at the right time, you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. Nothing bad ever comes from waiting on God. Nothing. Holy Spirit uses every situation to accomplish God's purpose. Every situation. There's nothing too far, too lost, too gone that God can't turn around. He turned around the death of the first martyr and the persecution of the church to grow the church. The very thing the enemy meant to end the church, he used to grow the church. Imagine what he could do with you. Imagine what he could do with your life. God uses every situation. Every situation. The overflow of Pentecost is for everyone. Jesus is is coming back for a vibrant church, a beautiful church, a holy church, a righteous church, and he's coming soon. I believe we're seeing signs fulfilled all over. And that's not a sign for us just to go get in our bunker until he returns. It's a sign for us to be about the kingdom, to reach as many people for the gospel of Jesus Christ as possible, to preach the word boldly. You're like, well, I guess that's hard to do. Well, have you asked the Holy Spirit? And that's, that's how I want to respond today. I just, I want to take some time, and then we're going we're gonna to take communion after this. But I just want, I want us to just take some time and say, Holy Spirit, fill me and baptize me with everything that you want me to have. And let's surrender. And you know, the biggest obstacle that people have in receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit is usually their rearing. It's how they were brought up in church. Because either the church didn't teach on it or they avoided the subject like the plague. But Jesus, the Holy Spirit is an equal member to the Trinity as the Father and the Son. 
And he is the active member of the Trinity in exacting the will of God on earth. And he is the one that equips the church and the saints to accomplish the purposes of God in their life. And he's the manifest presence of God. We can't feel the presence of God if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. And he's the one that manifests the gifts of God. It's him. And I, I, I know, I know, like I'm not saying go after gifts or anything like that. We first and foremost go after Jesus. We're in love with him first. And as we fall more in love with him, man, he just gives us these gifts. And, and I don't know what you need to pray, but I do know this, that God has a great gift for you in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we need this gift to engage the world like never before with the power and the gospel of Jesus Christ to speak truth in love, to lay hands on the sick, to cast out demons. This is the overflow of the Christian life as we fall in love with Jesus. So let's just, let's just have a posture of surrender. And maybe some of us need to say, Jesus, forgive me. I've treated you with contempt or maybe some of us just need to search our heart and and let's just have a, a have a posture of surrender let's just take a time right now and and just say holy spirit I, I want what you want for me i want i want you to use me how you want to use me i want i want you to do what you want to do through me i want your name to be glorified and, and just laying yourself at his feet that, that's all it is. I'm not going to tell you, like, you need to pray this or uh, you need to say this. No, there's not a formula to, to this. It's surrender. It's simple surrender. So let's just, I'm going to stop talking. Let's just take a moment real quick. And let's, let's just invite the Holy Spirit, not, not into this place. He's already here, but into us.